Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We would like to acknowledge that we meet, work and broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people and the Boon people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. In your Please be aware that the audio you are about to listen to in today's episode contains strong language and descriptions of a sexual nature, mentions of transphobia, queephobia, dysphoria, poverty, precarity, oppression, misogyny, and violence towards trans women that may be distressing to some listeners. If this type of content is a trigger for you, please rejoin us at the end of our show at 5pm. My name is MV, and you're listening to 3CR's In Your Face, a program that explores LGBTIQA+, feminist and current sociopolitical issues with interviews, music and commentary. I'm presenting this show as part of 3CR's summer programming. On today's program, I'll be presenting a collection of audio spoken word segments by author Otter Leaf. Otter Leaf is a working class femme, trans woman, who lives in and out of Berlin. She's a body worker and gives trans competency training and runs a body positive clinic called Safer Healing. I've interviewed Otter previously in 2016 and 2017 whilst she was writing her first novel, Margins and Murmurations, a speculative fiction about struggle, being different and time travel, where the main character is a trans woman, a reluctant freedom fighter who has the ability to time travel. The main character in this book is part of a resistance against totalitarian regime a resistance made up of trans people, sex workers, and disabled people. First off, I'm going to play the very first audio chapter of Margins and Murmurations, a trans-feminist speculative fiction by Otter Leaf. This audiobook was recorded by the author herself. You can get a copy of this recording at patreon.com forward slash Otter Leaf. And here is the first chapter. Margins and Murmurations by Otter Leaf Part 1 Struggle. Chapter 1. The old woman's body felt alive from the run. Her strong legs burned as they carried her along the uneven riverbank. At 74 years old, she knew she should be slowing down, should be curled up in front of the fire. But today, as she left her home on the river, climbed over an ancient stile and pushed away through a thick field of bracken, Ash felt younger than ever. The sun was close to setting, but the air was still as hot as midday. After a relentless summer, the land was bone dry. She couldn't even remember the taste of rain. Leaning against a fence to catch her breath, she offered some water from her bottle to the land and took a sip herself. Despite the drought, there was an explosion of plant growth all around her. A thick green mat of bracken and nettles filled the valley, and young birch trees pushed up towards the light. 
their delicate branches drooping with the lavender blooms of morning glories. It's so beautiful here, Ash said to no one in particular. A passing crow flying out from the distant forest answered her from above. It's hard to imagine that all of this was corn. Nothing but toxic monoculture, as far as I could walk. She took a deep breath of warm air, thick with pollen. The land itself seemed to buzz with the hum of bees and crickets. Life is coming back, though, despite everything they did to us. Ash unzipped her backpack and crouched down to collect some nettle tips for dinner, smiling a little as they stung her. At her age, she figured she'd be riddled with arthritis by now if it wasn't for her daily cup of nettle tea and her regular brush against their stinging leaves. Soon her dark, wrinkled fingers prickled all over with the familiar burn of histamine. When she'd collected enough, Ash put her hands together, intending to thank the nettles for their sacrifice. But as she did, a bang rang out from the forest. She jumped to her feet and yelped in surprise, her heart pounding in her chest. Gunshots, and they're getting closer every day. But Ash knew there was nothing that she could do about it. I've swallowed enough tear gas for this lifetime. She scratched the stubble on her chin thoughtfully, looked up, and stretched a hand out in front of her. Only four fingertips separated the setting sun and the forest ahead. So about an hour or so until dark, I really should get moving. She slipped her pack on again, and pushing through the abundant plant life, she continued her journey to the forest. It was normally an hour's journey from Ash's little riverboat to Pinar's place, the beautiful cabin that they built together at the edge of the woods. In this heat, it would take her almost two hours, and she'd be lucky to get there before nightfall. Having no way to contact each other, their visits were always unplanned and always unexpected, and yet somehow Ash and Pinar had never missed each other in the five years since they came to this land. Ash knew that when she arrived, the kettle would already be boiling, or a pot of soup would have been just taken off the fire in anticipation. It was as if, somehow, when one of them left their home, the forest and the river themselves passed on the message, and beckoned the other to stay in theirs, to leave the firewood collecting to later, to just sit and wait. Ash disappeared into the high undergrowth, walking along a narrow path of stomp-down plants they both maintained just by hiking back and forth every few days. Her back was wet with sweat, and brambles scratched her arms. But she loved this walk, and hummed quietly to herself. It was almost completely dark when the path suddenly opened out, and beyond her, in the forest, she could hear a kettle whistling. It's not a minute too soon. As she turned the corner, she saw Pinar, sitting outside her home, surrounded by candles, her green eyes glistening in the light. As gorgeous as ever, Ash noticed. Pinar was only fifteen years her junior, but despite all that they'd been through together, her friends seemed to radiate with youth. She wore an elegant blue dress that night, and her long hair cascaded over dark, bare shoulders. She stood and smiled as Ash arrived. I had a feeling you might turn up today. Pinar waved at a candlelit wooden table and chairs laid out under an old oak. I'll just get the kettle. Make yourself at home. She disappeared inside the little cabin, and Ash could hear her busying around in the kitchen. Within a minute, she returned with a tray full of homemade snacks, a steaming teapot, and a pitcher of water. Here we go. I made the blackberry cookies you like. 
Pinar bent to put the tray down on the table, stood up, and turned to give her friend a hug. But Ash was gone. Her body stood just where Pinar had left her moments ago, but the brown-green eyes that stared back at her were completely vacant. Ash? she asked, but there was no response. Her friend's breath was shallow, her olive skin cold and clammy to the touch. She was there, but she wasn't. Where are you now, darling? asked Pina, picking up a blanket and calmly putting it over her friend's shoulders. She wasn't worried. She was used to this. Ash was somewhere else, in another place and another time, more a traumatic flashback than a daydream, and still much more than that. Pinar knew that she was visiting or revisiting her own life. Be safe. And come back to me soon, she said. She sat down and she poured them both some tea. Otto has said in relation to the themes of time travel in her novel that when she started writing Margins and Memorations, she would have said that she lived very much in the past and that for a long time she had lived with complex post-traumatic stress and for a while that took the form of intense flashbacks to traumatic events. So in a way, the central character from the novel, Ash, experiences the same thing but as a kind of time travel and Audra said that later on when she's thought about it, of how so many trans people are actually time travellers in the way that trans people live in the past of who they were or who they were meant to be and that they tend to live lives in the future or perhaps even hoping and being made to wait in relation to hospital waiting lists. But however, once in a while there is the luxury of settling into the moment where there is something beautiful surrounded by a beautiful song and, and that's when healing happens. If you'd like to get a copy of Otterleaf's book, Margins and Memorations, head to otterleaf.com, spelt O-T-T-E-R-L-I-E-F-E. Next you'll hear a collaboration between Otterleaf and sound artist Body of Work. What you'll hear is an excerpt of Margins and Memorations read by the author, with music by Body of Work. Please note that this audio contains strong language and themes of a sexual nature. The evening was warm and the air over the park was perfectly still and thick with humidity. Natalie was sweating with anticipation. She loved this part of the night. Just like every Saturday evening, the park, a massive stretch of land out in the abandoned suburbs of the city, was full, full of women and a scattering of men, full of nighttime visitors moving slowly through the shadows, picking their way through the high grass and over fallen tombstones. one in search of company. Natalie had arrived 20 minutes before, but she still stood at the park's edge, a 
adjusting her blonde ponytail for the tenth time and watching as shadows moved amongst the bushes. Her muscles were tense to run, to escape. What the fuck am I even doing here? But she knew that she couldn't leave without exploring what the park had to offer her tonight. It's always like this. Within an hour, she'd have lost herself in a spontaneous chaos of mouths and flesh and the fingers of strangers inside her. But the beginning was always the hard part. Just push through. Natalie rechecked her clothes. A dark red top that complemented her pale skin perfectly, accentuated her breasts. Her tightest jeans to make the most of all those hours of running after tennis balls. Nodding to one of the security women who protected the park, she took a deep breath and stepped into the high grass. She joined the well-worn path and headed for her favorite place, the war monument. A hollow, concrete monstrosity built to celebrate some forgotten war or another. It was almost completely dark inside and was usually busy the whole night through. Natalie shuffled carefully into the narrow passageway and leaned against the wall to wait for her eyes to adjust. She could already hear a couple a little way down the passage, breathing heavily. This is going to be a good night. chest was tight and she could barely catch her breath in the moist air, thick with the smells of sex. This is exactly where I should be. Thank you.
I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. You're listening to In Your Face and my name is MV. Today I've been presenting work written by author Otto Leaf, a trans femme living and working in Europe. Our next play a recording she made called Ageism and Survival. She says, age is sexy, wisdom is sexy. I've survived nearly 40 years and mobilized for 20, and that is hot as hell. Please note that there is a content warning for various forms of intersecting oppressions affecting trans women. And now here is Otter Leaf with Ageism and Survival. Despite everything the world tells me, the mainstream, of course, but also, more painfully, the queer and trans communities, I have never been sexier. Because age is sexy, and wisdom is sexy. I've survived nearly 40 years, and mobilized for 20, and that's hot as hell. A dear friend asked me recently where the trans elders are, why we're so invisible. I remembered a statistic that got stuck inside my body for months. The trans women of colour have a life expectancy at least in the West, of 35 years. I don't know how accurate it is. Stats analysis was never among my survival skills. But I do know that it terrified me. Racism, transmisogyny, precarity, classism, they all take their toll. Precarious work and prisons and suicide and inaccessible healthcare do too. And... If we survive, if we make it through all of that, we get to enjoy ageism inside our own communities. Never again do I need to hear young trans people making jokes about balding or using the word dinosaur as a slur. Every day I see those of us who have survived a little longer being thrown out with the trash of history. We no longer represent the trans communities we built from the ground up. We're already outdated, our vocabulary irrelevant. And we're seen as profoundly unsexy. But I'm lucky. My sense of self comes from deep inside my bones. And from the breeze running through me in my favourite wild places. My self-knowledge as a proud and, yes, sexy woman doesn't need external validation. I know exactly who I am and where I'm going, and that gives me strength to get through another day. I'm lucky, but it also shouldn't be this hard.
That was Otter Leaf speaking about ageism and survival. Next is a spoken word piece called My Gender is Precarity. When we think of precarity, it means that we have an existence that lacks in predictability, job security, material or psychological welfare. And in the case of Otter Leaf, she talks about how her gender is precarity, that we don't all experience the same risks and the same expectations, that at times how poverty and being trans can define someone's life experience. Please note that the audio in this spoken word segment has mentions of poverty, precarity, and strong language. My gender is precarity. Not all trans women are created equal. More and more I come to see how poverty and precarity define my life experience, and being poor and trans, I do not live in the same world as people who are rich and trans. We do not experience the same risks, the same expectations, and we don't have the same hopes or dreams. Yet poverty and class are still unmentionable things. The people who decide which subjects are important, which double standards we as communities will break down, do not prioritise class oppression. I suspect it's because they benefit from it. I hear the voices of rich trans and queer people every day, and it exhausts me. I get it. You have power, and you have the power to elevate your own voices to get more power. You have the power to break the ceiling. We all get it. But there are better things that you could do with that power. Your lip service to solidarity means very little to the rest of us, while we're still trans and poor. Being trans and poor looks like hellish public transport at the end of the night because we can't afford a taxi. Being trans and poor looks like barely accessing survival medical care, much less hormones, much less surgery. Getting the medicine, laser and clothes to pass as cis and get a real job and live your dream is a privilege. Some of us are barely surviving. Being trans and poor means sometimes 60, 70, 80 hour weeks since I was young enough to work and still living on a quarter of minimum wage. Yes, literally. It means sex work. It means crossing borders. It means illegality. It means precarity. It looks nothing like fancy universities and grants and family support and social capital. Being poor and trans means working myself to sickness to produce a book so voices like mine can be heard. It means selling that book copy by copy by copy and calling in every possible favour because poor people don't get publishers. We don't have powerful contacts and we don't have wealth to spend on advertising ourselves to gain more wealth. It means doing it all myself, with a few beautiful exceptions. And worse, being trans and poor means when I have to ask for basic help from my friends, I'm filled with shame and self-loathing. Being trans and poor means blaming myself for the systemic poverty that fucks me over, and invisibilizing all the ways rich people never earned their privilege. Being trans and poor means being marginalized by my own communities, being amongst those most likely to be evicted from safer spaces and most in need of safety. It means still being at the edge of the playground while the cool kids, the rich kids, discuss abstract theory or their really cool music. It means seeing my needs come last, if at all. It means being spat on by communities that are supposed to be mine. Being trans and poor means never calling myself a victim, despite the realities of oppression under capitalism. And I'm tired of it. It shouldn't be this way. 
I'm told that I should be proud to be trans, that my gender is a beautiful thing in the world, or butterflies and unicorns. Well, fuck that. My gender is precarity, and that's nothing to be proud of. That was Otto Leaf with My Gender Is Precarity. You can read the full transcript of that writing via medium.com forward slash at symbol Otto Leaf forward slash My Gender Is Precarity. <laughs> CR is a community radio license holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music, programs for children, and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this station. Copies of the code are available from the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are. Five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. If you just tuned in, my name is MV and you're listening to In Your Face. Today, I've been presenting a collection of written works and audiobooks by author Otter Leaf. Otter Leaf is a working class, femme, trans woman who lives in and out of Europe. She's been involved in grassroots activism for nearly two decades in Latin America, the Middle East, Europe and North America. Next, you'll hear another audio piece by Otter Leaf called Not an Artist, which was a collaboration with Wild Tongue Zine. Wild Tongue Zine is created by Timmer Ball and Azja Kulpinska. They are both two artists and emerging writers who live in Melbourne. Wild Tongue Volume 2 was released as part of Next Wave Festival here in Melbourne in May of 2018. The project opens dialogues about racism, ableism, misogyny, transphobia, queerphobia, unacknowledged class privilege and an understanding of their influence on mental health. Keep up to date with their work via wildtonguezine.org.au. Now here is Otter Leaf with Not an Artist. Not an Artist by Otter Leaf. The first part comes from Not a Princess, September 2016. I recently wrote a novel. It's right now sitting on the hard drive of an editor and next week I'll need to find $3,000 from my five jobs to fund it. And then it'll be printed, and out in the world. An actual book, on bookshelves. My magnum opus, my great work of art. Except that I can't call it that. I can't even push the A word past my lips without feeling nauseous. I should probably explain why. It's probably called reverse snobism or something in middle class, but I've always had this reaction. I didn't step inside an art gallery until I was in my 20s, and my Spanish ex with his rich family and their fancy four houses decided it was time. I hated it. I freaked out and wanted to run away. I realized it was something deep inside me that was magnetically repelled by anything that smells like pretension. Could it be genetic? Years later, I sat with a group of friends gathered around a computer screen looking at something on Facebook. Everyone was laughing and giggling and commenting on how funny it was, but I was silent. I didn't understand the thing. There was some sort of me making fun of art galleries, something about waterfalls. 
I asked for a class translation, and one of the friends was shocked that I didn't get it. I said something like, Sweetie, I've never been in an art gallery before. Why would I get it? I don't think that the 20 minutes in Madrid really count. She was shocked, and outright didn't believe me. Art galleries are an institution, after all. What self-respecting middle-class activist hasn't been in at least 30? Well, I've been in McDonald's, which was our monthly treat when I was young, and I've been to the pool, and I've been to the cinema to watch Hollywood blockbusters. I know those things aren't cool or radical, and they're certainly not art, but they are the things that great swathes of working-class England do every week for entertainment. I still have no idea what the waterfalls were about, by the way. Part 2 A year has passed since I published that article. And that novel, the one that was sitting on my editor's hard drive, now has its own life, out in the world. In the last six months since I self-published, nearly a thousand copies have been printed, sold, and passed around communities and networks. Seventy so far were sent to trans women in US prisons. There's a second edition, an e-book, an audio book. I've been on tour three times and given countless public readings in ten cities in three countries. I'm now regularly invited to talk on panels and to run workshops, and my friends joke openly about how I became a superstar. Me. Yes, me. Talk about imposter syndrome. Keeping it real for a moment, I can't remember a time when I've worked harder, and still, somehow, I'm just getting by. Precarity lurks ever around the corner, and I hold on to my three, five, seven jobs, literally for dear life. I openly ask friends and readers to support me, and it breaks my heart every time I have to. I have a Patreon now. I get my travel expenses to events paid. I crowdfund every fucking thing, including my weekly shopping. And here I show a Facebook post saying, My Patreon is live. Working class pride be damned. I'm a freaking artist now. Pride and shame aside, I'm so grateful that there are people in the world with the desire and means to support my work. Yet, truthfully, I wish that they didn't have to. I wish I could give away books for free. Wish that there was always money for food and travel. Wish that precarity was an abstract concept and I could just lounge around writing for pleasure instead of clutching onto receipts and thinking of ever more creative ways to survive. But then... I guess, what I write simply wouldn't be the same thing. It might sound pretentious, but precarity and marginalization are in my every sentence and paragraph. They are, after all, the motivation behind my writing for other people at all. A week ago, I wrote this. This work does need to come out into the world. With each new project that it births, and each new person that connects with it, I feel more strongly that my writing should reach more people, and that I want, and need, to share these stories. There needs to be more speculative fiction, with better representation, more narratives of resisting ableism and racism, sexism and classism, and more realistic experiences of survival in a world that hates anyone at the margins. As a person with a complex experience, with complex intersections, surrounded by supportive, loving communities of people who help produce this work with me, I'm in a unique position to tell some of these stories. I hope I'll have the opportunity to keep doing just that. I'm so grateful for the platform that I have now. 
which in some small way allows me to reach people and be a part of changing things for the better. No one could have imagined that an awkward trans girl growing up in the countryside with no networks and no cash would be able to reach potentially a thousand people with her words. It still makes no sense to me. I haven't begun to process it. But what I know for certain is that I have earned this, and I've given everything I have to get here. Now I just have to make sure my writing is the best it can possibly be. After all, people might just read it. That was Otto Leaf with Not An Artist, a project put together for Wild Tongue Zine. For more information, head to wildtonguezine.org.au. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR Radio. This is MV, and you're listening to In Your Face on 3CR Community Radio, 855am, digital, and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Today, I've been playing some audio excerpts and spoken word poems from author Otter Leaf, a trans woman living in Europe. Next, I'm going to play another spoken word piece by Otter Leaf. This one is called My Fucking Voice. She says, Nothing prepared me for this, but I'm already pushing through, already integrating. I am a storyteller after all, and I have work to do. Please be aware that this audio piece contains strong language and some mentions of dysphoria. My voice. My fucking voice. This week I spoke into a microphone. Slow. Sultry. Let's call it a spoken word performance, although the very concept terrifies me. And I heard myself push through cables and speakers, amplified, and my voice was low. It was so fucking low. There are times when I'm in the shower singing only for myself, without shame, when my voice even growls. Apparently I have a tiger inside me that only hot water and privacy can release. So I'm on the stage in front of an audience and this loud, low voice is echoing all around us. And it hits me then how hard it is to sound like this. To have a voice associated with one gender, but to belong to another. To be put with the men in the five minutes I managed to survive choir class because, well, we all have the same voice. And this is what men sound like. So many of the women, cis and trans, in my life don't sound like me. Their voices are rich and high and higher. Such a sexy, beautiful and feminine sound that I adore and I want to curl up inside and sleep for a week. But my voice doesn't do that. I don't have the hormones, the physiology or the training. And all that comes out where there should be lightness and harmony is a deep rumble of the coming storm. But I do need to be gentle here. 
There's no logical reason that the sounds that come out of my mouth should have anything to do with my gender, my transness, my womanhood, my right to exist. It's just a voice box, a laryngeal prominence, the part of my neck most difficult to shave. It's undeniably a part of me, and it isn't going anywhere fast. And it's my fucking voice. The voice I use to fuck. To protect myself, to defend my friends and express my desires. To whisper to my dearest ones and to sing my heart out. To read the deep personal secrets no longer kept because I wrote them in a novel and I stand in front of strangers and I share my words formed with my complex mouth, tongue and voice and I push them out into technology. Radio interviews, podcasts, audiobooks. My voice is public now and there's no way back. Nothing prepared me for this. But I'm already pushing through, already integrating. I'm a storyteller, after all, and I have work to do. While my fingers skim delicately over a keyboard as they always have, my voice also has a part to play in this dance. My delicate, robust voice, so low, so perfectly, femininely low, is there with me. With her, I can invite people in and to whisper my gratitude. It's just a frequency after all, and it is mine. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. an excerpt of an interview that I conducted with Otter Leaf last year in 2017, just on the release of her first novel, Margins and Memorations. We spoke about her creative process, what it means to be a trans woman, what trans feminism is, how her work relates to time travel, and information about a crowdfunding campaign for trans prisoners. It's particularly interesting, I think, working on the first novel because when I started writing, I definitely didn't plan for it to become such a big project or to become a real book or anything. Um, of course, by the time we spoke, it already was. There was a crowdfunder, there was an editor, it was, it was happening. As much as anything, just a, a therapeutic process of writing down some stories and having characters that I wanted to see and that I was like desperate to have some, some better representation and it made me feel good to start writing down all these images and little stories that I had in my mind. So the process has been very strong in a way from going from haphazard little stories to becoming a whole narrative written for 
for other people more than for myself. And that, that was a really dramatic change of uh, suddenly not just being like something just sitting on my hard drive for me to read, uh, but actually like wanting to, to communicate with people and to, to bring something. So that was a big change. And in that change, yeah, the title changed as well. I always wanted this idea of edge or margin and that stayed because the characters are very marginal. They're literally on the edge of the resistance movement. It was clear that I was writing from a marginalized position about marginal characters. And that was basically memories from the edge was just a little bit too vague and difficult for people to remember. It was an important <laughs> logistic point. I was like, oh, it should have a name that like people can remember. Even though margins and murmurations is very difficult to say, it at least is uh, a bit more sticky. And the murmuration, which is a flock of starlings, is an important part of... Uh, it's an important part of the story. It's an important image for for the narrative. So I decided that it's a beautiful word and actually... I think it also brings a little contrast or a little surprise in there because most trans works or, or fictions or something, it's usually just very focused on, on people and cities. And I really wanted to bring in that ecological element of the book right from the beginning. So there, there are murmurations on the book cover and in the title. So just to like make sure that, that that ecological element, which is really important for me, was there from the beginning. In the novel, Ash and Pinar return to the city they initially fled to face their oppressors. The city is described as a monoculture of gender, sexuality, ability and race. And the story itself centres around the struggle for trans-feminine equality and indeed struggle which is explored in the first chapter. Can you expand on this description and how the story delves into the exploration of exclusion and othering that is usually prescribed to narratives of trans femme people by the mainstream media. The first scene, really, and, and like really the first scene that I wrote, and it, like uh, the first image that I wanted to get down was this idea of uh, being expelled and being expelled from the city because it's you know it's an oppressive state and, it, and it's a monoculture, as you said, and specifically. It, I was writing, I started writing two years ago, I guess. So it was really at the the peak of this moment where people were talking about the great trans turning point and how everything was getting better now. And, uh, you know, it's only like 40 years later than the gays, but it's, it's all going to be okay. And we're getting our rights and there's equality and everything's going to be fine. And there are celebrities and there's, I don't know, TV shows and it's all, it's all changing. And I was just never very convinced. And also not, not very convinced that that's how it works, but also that there are just so many dimensions of power and intersectionality there. So who, who gets those rights and which specific kinds of trans people get which rights and how does that work in terms of all the other intersections of ethnicity and racism and everything else so a future situation where all of that kind of gets reversed which i think is pretty much historically accurate that there are points where things get better and everyone's very happy about it and there's pink washing and a lot of that can be very superficial and it can be thrown away just overnight so there was a little bit of that idea of of a political change where things reversed in a sense i suppose one of the other features of margins and memorations is the use of time travel in the way that this explores identities in complex non-linear patterns and throughout this there is a sense of solidarity and togetherness for the characters 
For you, why was the use of time travel such an important feature of the storyline? The original experience that I was writing, more than actual time travel, was more the flashback effect of, of one of the symptoms of PTSD. And the main character, who is the time traveler, experiences PTSD and, and has a lot of that like post-traumatic stress disorder and has a lot of those experiences of not being able to leave the past. And there's um, a lack of consent and a lack of choice about her time travel. So in a way, during the book, we see that maybe it becomes useful or she finds a way to reclaim it, which is what I learned to do with a lot of my PTSD. And there's a certain element of it being something that happens to her and is imposed on her because of usually state oppression and other forms of transmisogynistic violence. Also, um, talking with other trans women, I realized that actually it's a thing that's a bit in the air. This idea of trans women as time travelers, I had no idea. Because often we're looking back at who we were, looking forward, waiting, waiting lists, and transition and things. So there's, there's a lot of this idea of moving through time or being displaced in time. Margins and Memorations has a major focus on the struggles against oppression of trans women, of sex workers and femininity. In the current international political and social climate, why is it vital to explore these themes? They're subjects that aren't touched on enough. And I think one of the reasons for that is the consistent marginalization of those voices. So the first motivations behind writing was that I don't see people like myself represented. I don't hear voices like mine enough, certainly in any, anything mainstream or anything accessible. And I wanted to, to change that as an activist. I just like changing things or trying to and just started writing, even if just for myself or for my friends, that I would have a bit more representation. One of the best ways to create change or to refocus our efforts as as activists can be to to shift who who takes space who's speaking and i think also as a fem and i mean particularly out of all my random uh, intersections i think this is something that is very difficult it's a difficult process and people who have been historically marginalized or marginalized throughout our life to take space and to express our needs can be a very difficult process so facilitating that and finding ways to when people have more privilege to allow that to happen can be a really big transformation whenever we envision a world without war prisons or capitalism we are producing speculative fiction which is what margins and memorations is this type of fiction sometimes gives the reader an insight into their own political practice to try new ways of understanding themselves how do you think that margins and memorations achieves this yeah i think that speculative fiction is is something very beautiful in a way and i didn't quite even understand uh, until I started this process exactly the difference between, for example, science fiction and speculative fiction, which is a question I get asked a lot. And I guess spec fic kind of started to be produced as a response to science fiction being so dominated by specific groups, usually uh, cis white middle class men, 
and that it was like lots of aliens and robots and um and you know, i like a good alien but there's something in this response of um feminist writers creating speculative fiction and the speculative part is really asking like what if and actually creating fiction out of that can be a, a tool of of political change because if we can't imagine what we're moving towards then we're not going to get there very uh, well so this idea of using writing or other forms of speculative i don't know art or creativity or something uh to imagine well what if what if this changed what if we change one or two elements how would things be different uh rather than taking it so abstract and not being particularly relevant or particularly relatable. In fact, um, a lot of the speculative fiction that I really enjoy and, and hopefully in, in margins as well, there's an idea of, okay, well, actually, it's not that far away. Yes, it's a bit dystopic, but actually everything is shit, so that makes sense, and that, that things really are that oppressive. And it's a way of just expanding on on certain things and imagining what would that look like, and also how do we respond to it as well. So in this case what is the response to that? What does the resistance movement look like where we're so fractured and we're so divided and fighting such a powerful, oppressive enemy? How do we, what do we do with that? So it's a little bit just kind of a thought experiment or something, but I really see it as hopefully a, a political tool. After speaking to Otto about her book, Margins and Memorations, I was made aware of a funding campaign that Otto had started via pinkstart.me. Otto would like to get 50 copies of her trans-feminist fiction to trans people in prisons. She says, Getting books into prisons is a massive undertaking and a crucial way to connect LGBT people in prison to communicate outside, to empower and affirm, and to shift some control back against the oppressive prison system. She continues to quote words from Nicole Vosper, an ex-prisoner and abolition activist. It says, while there are no statistics of how many trans folk are inside, I know from the time I spent in prison that there are tons of queers, trans women and men, and non-binary folk who are incarcerated. Margins and memorations can give much-needed escapism to prisoners and ignite their radical imaginations for a different world. Otto would like to put funds together to buy as many copies as possible for LGBT books to prisoners to include them in their distribution. LGBT Books to Prisoners is a donation-funded, volunteer-run organization based in the U.S. that sends books and other educational materials free of charge to incarcerated LGBTQ people across the United States. Their website states, Incarcerated persons have little access to reading material, and LGBTQ people behind bars have a particularly hard time finding resources that meet their needs and wants. If you'd like to support this campaign and get Otter's book, Margins and Memorations, into prisons and distributed by LGBT Books to Prisoners, make your donation via their website at lgbtbookstoprisoners.org. You can also check out their other books on their wish list at roomofonesown.com. And that was my interview with Otter Leaf in 2017, speaking about her novel Margins and Memorations at the time of its release. For more information, head to otterleaf.com, that's spelled O-T-T-E-R-L-I-E, FE. Or for more information about the crowdfunding campaign, head to pinkstart.me forward slash en forward slash LGBT books. If the content in today's episode you just listened to has raised questions or caused distress to you, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or lifeline.org.au 
Queerspace 9663 or ds.org.au or Switchboard Victoria 1800 184 527 or switchboard.org.au. My name is MV and you've been listening to In Your Face on 3CR 855 AM digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. You can re-listen to today's episode via 3cr.org.au forward slash in your face for up to a week after initial broadcast. We will now go out with a song by Zaya Borroso. The song is called Transito. See you next time. Oh, mm-hmm.